0: Me.
1: oh i'm well laurie thank you so much for your time good to meet you
0: oh absolutely so Ooh, you see my whole messy room here behind me.
1: it's full of character i love it
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah that's exactly what it is so, <laughs> so much character
1: oh there's so many things i want to ask you so many things to talk about but do you mind if we start Yay. at the beginning
0: no absolutely
1: So uh, before we get into your writing, you are an uh, improv artist as well. You do, you do some improv as well?
0: I do. Yeah. I'm in a group here called Sidebar Comedy Improv. Oh, man. Um, We've been together for, I think we got started right before the pandemic, like in 2019. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we've picked back up again and do little things here and there. It's a lot of fun.
1: Oh, that's great. So, okay, let me backtrack. I just had to get that one out of the way. So you're in Arkansas, right?
0: Yes. Mm -hmm.
1: Has that always been home?
0: I was born in Northwest Arkansas, where I live now, and lived in Little Rock for my first 13 years. And then I lived in Texas for during the end of junior high, high school, and then again for a couple of years when I was in my early 20s. So Texas and Arkansas, I've been back here in Northwest Arkansas since 1990. So this is this is definitely home. My grandparents were here. My mom was raised here. So yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you think that it makes for some good writing later on to be from Arkansas, or does it? Uh, did you feel like it hampered you in any way?
0: There are a lot of characters in Arkansas, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I I don't know. Um, I did an interview recently and was asked because of some stories I've written if I was from Texas and it's interesting. I don't really, I don't really think of my characters as being from a place. I don't really write intentionally about a place. I know a lot of writers do. They kind of try to write about the people that they've grown up with. I just kind of write about characters that come to me. And so I suppose that they are born from wherever I have been if that makes sense but yeah. yeah i don't i don't know that where i am right now would if i move to um massachusetts i don't know that my characters would move <laughs> <laughs> i don't know that they'd be that different <laughs> than they are now
1: so has that always been the way that you write things just come to you or you feel like you had to develop that over time just kind of the the way that you zero in on on some of those or do you catch them the way that some Writers do.
0: Yeah, catching catching is definitely a good way to put it. I'm definitely a pantser. When you think about the plotting versus the pants, flying by the seat of your pants. Um, a lot of my stories were created, uh, um, from generative workshops, and so uh, an instructor would give a prompt, and then I would just take off with it, and so. And usually, those prompts aren't about a particular- well, sometimes I guess they're about a particular character, but um no they they definitely come to me. I kind of I have an idea for a situation, um maybe a person that's in a situation, and then I just run with whatever I write down. I try really hard to follow the the instruction that I learned early on in my writing to not edit as I write. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of write it all out and I might mark through something and do it again, but I don't go back and change anything really until I'm done. So it all just comes out. And then as I'm, and I always use a notebook. (laughs) So as I'm writing, it comes out of me. And then when I go back to put it into my laptop, that's when some of the editing happens and stuff. But, um, but yeah, I kind of catch stories as they come out of me. I think I don't, I don't feel like I sit down and create an idea for a story and i would never plot things out. I just write it. And then if I go back later and find that it needs something, then I'll, then I'll add it. So yeah, yeah, that's the only way I can do it.
1: No, I get it. I mean, I I think that a lot of the time it feels like I'm just waiting for, you know, what do you call it with bated breath for something from the sky to come down and and, uh, help me push through. but. (laughs) Do you recall when writing came into your life? Was that recently or was that a while back when you were when you were like a kid or when in life did that come?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I I have a friend who has always wanted to be a writer and she's now got a couple of books out and mm. she's talked about how even when she was a kid, she knew she was going to be a writer. And you read that a lot in interviews with writers. Oh, yeah. When I was eight years old, I wrote my first story. I'm like, what? <laughs> how does that happen i i was i was a, a voracious reader and read and read and read everything i could get my hands on um and had a library card when i was little and loved reading and loved stories but it was but being a writer was never a job that i knew you could have and mm. i was never um my home was was full of creativity. My mom had been an art student before she had me and then got married the way you do. Um, and so she encouraged us in a lot of creative outlets. So we were all doing band, we were, um, you know, drawing. She always had paper and art supplies, but writing was not one of those creative. So
1: mm. I think she
0: just wasn't familiar with it. And so none of us tried it. So what I discovered when I started writing, Well, it's, it's a, it's a long story, so I'll try to condense it. So, um, so I got out of high school and was going to be an actress. And then I was too afraid of failure to actually try to be an actress. (laughs) (laughs) So I got a job. So then I spent um, a couple of decades just working. And, um, I was a single mom when I went back to college and, when I went in to talk to the advisor, I had taken some courses while I worked on a local campus. And so I was like, okay, what do I have? What am I close to? What could I finish in a short amount of time? And he said, an English degree. So I said, okay, fine, let's do that because (laughs) I just needed a BA to be able to make more money basically. So, um, so I got into the BA into the creative writing program and I was not thinking of myself still as a writer. I just was going to take these courses and get a degree. They very much focused on first step as you create a character, second step as you write a plot. And I was, I hated every second of it. <laughs> I could not, I couldn't perform on demand, you know? So um, got out of that degree program, got another good job and never thought about it again but i would just kind of play around with it now and then i'd write a little something um nyc midnight contests online were a place where i would do a flash fiction contest now and then and it was terrible (laughs) well i never did well and so in 2020 i started um i had i guess i met somebody online on twitter when we all started locking down and i started taking some workshops some writing workshops online and that was when i started discovering that there were other ways to write um other ways to get into a story and i started looking back at all of my years of work and realized i had been doing projects for myself at work that allowed myself to write mm-hmm. so i loved writing the newsletter for the department or you know, creating some document that or a PowerPoint presentation, like anything, and so it it, occur, it just dawned on me. Well, I've always been writing. I always enjoyed writing. I just didn't realize there was that that was a thing I was doing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, long story short, I never knew that that was a thing I was doing, but I was, and I always journal. You know, I just um, I hadn't thought about creating fictional narratives, I guess, and mm-hmm. that's what's been really recent just, just the last few years, and it's so much fun.
1: I love it. Yeah. It seems like an interesting journey to, to hone in on flash fiction in particular. Is there something beyond what you've just Mm -hmm. mentioned about the form itself that allows you to have a way in that, that gives you that reward or that immediacy, like why flash fiction over anything else, say poetry or, you know, maybe a novella or something like that.
0: Um, I actually, I'm taking a class right now with Jose Hernandez Diaz, and he is a um, prose poet or poet. Mm-hmm. He probably he doesn't just do prose, but he's teaching me uh, um, our class surreal prose poetry. Mm. And what I'm discovering as I work through his class is that I have been writing prose poetry, like some of the things that I submit as stories probably technically are prose poetry but then it just depends on who the editor you know what the editor likes and so some of them have been published as flash fiction but really I think they're more poetry because they don't have a an arc and a real tension and all of that stuff that a story is supposed to have so um I love flash I think it's because I'm very impatient I when I have done any kind of art I like theater because I like the immediate gratification of the audience reaction. I like art that is like, I love, I do collage art and then I've also done watercolor Mm. So I've never wanted to do oil because it takes so long to dry. And to. so I think, I think as I've thought about this, about I can get my thoughts down, write something in an afternoon and be done with it. And I'm not, writing the same story for months and months and months. <laughs> but that said, um, I do I want to get into some screenwriting too. And mm. I also have a story that I've been working on for several years actually that I thought would be a novel. And then I got this is before I started writing the last few years. And so I'd gotten frustrated with it and put it away. And I and now I think I'd like to dig it back out mm. because I'm feeling more confident yeah, about yeah. my writing. And I think I can put some time into it and are, and make it into a longer story. So we'll see. I'd like to start writing a little longer to get into the the paying journals. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And that's incredible. I mean, that you're looking outward to mm-hmm. various different forms. And of course, with screenwriting, I that would be really amazing for you because mm-hmm. of the per- performance aspect of things. I think you, because of that mm-hmm. improv training, that's going to be so amazing for you. I can't wait to. You know, to know what's coming down the pipeline for you, especially as an improv artist, because that, that's just going to be really wonderful stuff. But I want to ask you a few questions about Proof of Life, which is the collection that you have lined up here. It's coming from ELJ Editions. And I would like to know when you decided to make that leap from, I'm just writing a couple of little flash fiction stories to, I am now working on something that will be a cohesive collection. And I'm going to send it out into the world. How do, how does that happen? And what was that process like?
0: You know, Jaime, I, well, <laughs> the thing that's really strange for me in this, in this, with this discussion is that um, I feel like this collection landed in my lap because um, I had been writing over the last few years. I'd had, um, I've had about 25 things published now, I think. Um So, and they're all flash and microfiction um, and possibly some prose poems, as I said. (laughs) And um, I started working with Ariana at ELJ doing art for their covers. And um, then we have just gotten to know each other and she's read my work. And Ariana was the one that reached out to me and said, look, we have a gap in our, she had a publishing schedule set up for this year and um, somebody had dropped out and so she was like have you have you thought about putting together your stuff as a manuscript and I was I mean honestly I would have if you had asked me well when do you think you might put some things together for a manuscript I would have said oh I'm not ready for that (laughs) like I've only been writing a few years you know that that's like what the the writers who really know what they're doing do (laughs) so when she asked me I said well I mean I have a A folder on my laptop with all my stories in it, but I do not have a manuscript. And so she said, well, why don't you send me, you know, she asked how many I had and I told her and she said, well, send them to me and, you know, let's let's see what you've got. And Mm. so I sent them to Ariana and she was the one that put them all in order and found a narrative arc. Mm. And she sent me an email with all of this stuff about the themes and the, messages. And and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Because because when I write, I I just write what comes to me. And it's been the most fascinating experience to have her and then also the, the early readers of the manuscript and stuff tell me what they see in my stories. And they have found connections in my work that i had no idea i was putting in there like i didn't realize when the woman said are you from texas i went back and i was like oh yeah there's a lot of like bleak landscapey kind of mm. and then she pointed out how many cars are in my collection i'm my like half of my characters are in a, a car on a road trip and I'm, i had no idea <laughs> <laughs> so it's been it's been it's been an amazing opportunity and experience with her um that i i know is really fortunate for me because i didn't do this myself i mean i think about the writers who send their manuscript out over and over and over and it comes back rejected and i feel so fortunate that i just happen to have this friendship with somebody who is like hey i've got time give Mm -hmm. me what you've got and I know that will probably never happen again. <laughs> so I'm really, really enjoying it and, and um, appreciating her friendship and her help. So yeah, it's been wild.
1: Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> and it seems, you know, like a, such a generous gesture, but for somebody who they know is an artist and has a voice and has a perspective. Uh, so that's definitely something that I'm sure is, is earned in this process of getting to know somebody, but, Do you feel like looking back on the collection, that it does make more sense to you that there, as you said, there were some themes that you had been writing about maybe subconsciously. Where does that where does that lead you to as you're continuing to write? Because I imagine that you're doing more writing now and, and continuing that progress. How does that inform what you're doing now? That experience.
0: Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely shown me that there is, um, that I'm not just, I guess it's, I guess I'm taking myself more seriously Mm. because I see that, um, you know, they, writers, writing instructors and, and writers in their books um, on writing and whatnot will say, uh, you know, we all have stories to to tell and your story is important, and a person who has only recently started writing. I think, at least for me, it's like really. I mean, I'm a 57 year old woman in Northwest Arkansas, of all places. Like, who really wants to read these stories? <laughs> like, other than my mother, who's no longer with me. So, what do I do with that? So, um, so it's interesting. To think about myself as somebody who does have stories to tell, because mm-hmm. that's not the way I've been thinking of myself for so long. So seeing um a book come out that people say, Oh yeah, this definitely has, you know, stories of loss and yearning and just et cetera, it makes me take myself seriously mm-hmm. and to say, okay, well, okay, I do maybe have some characters, some some stories, some Things that even though a lot of it is probably, I think a lot of my collection, in fact, so far has been about loss and yearning that is in, that's me. Mm-hmm. And so um it's, my characters are all individual characters, but they are definitely all me. <laughs> so <laughs> they're all doing things that I'm doing. And, and probably that's true with so many other writers. But now I think it's, um. Because of this collection, I believe it's going to be easier for me to, to continue to write because mm-hmm. I feel confident that even though it may not make, make sense, I guess make sense isn't the right words, but even though it doesn't seem to have something bigger going on, I think I just have to put the words down. It gives me that confidence, right? That mm-hmm. I just have to put the words down and put it out there and then other people are going to be able to see something that I may not see when I'm first putting it down. So, so yeah, it definitely gives me a lot of confidence. I have a, I had already started thinking about a um, memoir written in flash stories. Mm. And so I've got something for that. Um, and then I have this longer project that will become something, a novella or a, a novel or screenplay or all three. I don't know. And I also, I actually want to go back to some of the stories in this collection. I think some of those characters have more things they want to say. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm hoping to go back to to the small pieces and maybe pull some of those out and make them bigger. So, so yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting to think, oh, okay, I'm, this is working. So I just need to keep at it.
1: It appears the floodgates have opened and. You find, yeah, you find that there, there is so much to say. And of course, for somebody who has lived life, who has experienced a lot of things, that just has to be such a valuable, empowering thing. Uh, For me, I really hone in on this idea of, of place. I mean, just because I'm, you know, I don't know where place is, I don't know what my place is, but I'm a Mexican in, in Wyoming. And so I see somebody from Arkansas and I know that that's a person who has a unique perspective to share with the world, because all we see are Arkansas this or Arkansas that, but we don't see the humanity of certain places. And you mentioned that you are also politically involved. There's some inclinations there, at least on Twitter. And I'm curious to know (laughs) how that resonates with you and how that makes its way into the writing too, because some things are hard to avoid politically, especially if we're in certain states like Mm. Arkansas or Wyoming. But I'm curious what your take is on that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I haven't. Hmm, let me think. I don't think that any of my political leanings have really worked into their writing yet. Mm. Um, I am. Yeah. <laughs> if you follow me on Twitter, <laughs> I have two, two parts. I am either a really vocal libtard you know feminazi <laughs> whatever whatever all the people would call me um i'm a i'm a liberal woman in her mid-50s <laughs> and i ran for office in 2020 and mm-hmm. in arkansas you you just can't avoid politics here right now mm-hmm. i mean and i don't want to get into it but yeah it's sure, sure. it's it's everywhere i we do actually have um, in my community in Springdale, we have a fantastically diverse community, and I love, love, love being able to support the people who are doing the hard work, actually. I mean, I'm not doing the hard work in in any form or fashion, but I support those who are. And um, as much as I can with my mouth and my money and, you know, and so um, I love being able to do that. and but it has not come into my work as a writer, which is the other half of me on Twitter. So I have the people I follow who are writers and writing outlets. And then I have the people I follow who are Arkansas (laughs) politics. (laughs) And, um, and that's just all I do. (laughs) So uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know that I will ever write about anything. I'm trying to think, I mean, Mm. I could have a, Character someday that pops up who has run into some discrimination. One of the issues, though, about that is I, I don't live that life as an LGBTQ person, mm-hmm. or as a Mexican person, or a Salvadoran person. Um, we also have a very large Marshallese population in Springdale, I, I don't live those lives. Mm-hmm. And I am very conscious of not trying to write a story for someone who I am not that person. Um, Mm -hmm. But one of the things I want to be able to do is help um, in my community, get those stories up and heard and seen. And so actually we have a, we have a bookstore. I'm going to give a shout out to Mas Labritos is a new pop-up bookshop situation Mm -hmm. happening um, that a young Latina in our community has started and I was thinking about starting a bookstore and kind of at the same time, I started hearing about her and then uh, a friend of mine said, Hey, you should talk to her. And we never could kind of get together. And then she launched and I very much put on the brakes and said, I, I can't try it. First of all, I can't because I just don't have time. But then it was kind of like the universe is going, settle down, <laughs> you're doing a lot of things. And- And you can support this instead, and that makes so much sense to me because one of the things i wanted to do with a bookstore if i open one was to have opportunities for our latino population to find books Mm. for them to read and Mm. you know to have workshops and things like that and so it makes so much sense to me to not do that and be supportive of diana and what she's doing there because she's doing a great job so but anyway Mm. so i i don't I don't know. It's hard not to uh, Arkansas politics into my writing. I also don't want people, you know, to protest me <laughs> and, and ban my books. So I don't want to get I don't think I have really um cutting edge stories to tell. Hmm. But then and I can't speak for other people, but at some point it's possible. I mean, I'm certainly not gonna I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if yeah. I have something come up, if I'm terrified
1: to <laughs> share it or not. <laughs> well, that's, you know, it's wonderful to hear, first of all, that there are some good news, you know, coming out of certain places. I, I think that for me, that's the most important thing is to realize that there's humanity and kindness and community happening in various places, regardless of where it is, you know, whether it's a, a blue state or a red state, sometimes mm-hmm. there's, there's good to be found if we, mm-hmm. if we keep looking, but I really think that Sometimes it's a delicate balance in the work to be able to talk about these things and other times it's okay to just escape to the work to go inward and find something that is truly you that doesn't have to reflect the the political, you know, themes of the day or anything like that. And it yeah. seems like that's sort of the the way that you like to approach it at this time is to just just be personal and and voice Yourself, voice out what you have to say. Is that the, a fair assessment?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably, I think a lot of that is because I write fiction right now primarily. So that helps because actually, as I was thinking about my stories, I was, I don't remember what I read something recently. Uh, um, there was some kind of discourse online, maybe about um, people putting characters into their stories that are not people that they would inhabit that life and so um i started thinking about my characters oh i remember it was something about somebody said that you should um identify the skin color and the the race and everything of your character like the first time you meet them Mm -hmm. and i was like okay first of all i don't even know how that's possible without breaking (laughs) your (laughs) your story like
1: yeah
0: anyway (laughs) but I started thinking about my characters and I was like, well, do I label any, like, hmm. I mean, other than using pronouns, she or he or a name, um, I don't really label, I don't label any of them in terms of their race or mm-hmm. their um, gender preference or anything like that. So I'd like to think that people can read my stories and put themselves in my stories. So for Mm -hmm. example, a Mexican reader I think could read several of my stories. Yeah. Hopefully most of my stories and not think, Oh, well this is a white person because unless it's, unless they're doing something crazy, like only white people do, which I know there are those (laughs) things, but if, if there's that, but, but otherwise, you know, some girl laying floating in the back, yard in her pool wishing people noticed her like that could be anybody like you know I hope that my stories are approachable by most readers and they can put themselves into those situations and and relate to the emotion of the story and the you know the theme or whatever without having to think oh well is this for me or is this for somebody else Um, Mm -hmm. but if I, if I started writing nonfiction, then yeah, I'd probably be inclined to talk about some things that were, that were a little bit more, um, whatever, (laughs) juicy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But it is a delicate balance indeed. And I think that, uh, you're spot on that sometimes, uh, it's okay to leave things open ended so that folks can have a way in. So, folks can really just uh-huh. find their way into the into the work without feeling completely ostracized uh with certain descriptions now you're also a uh-huh. a reader for a couple of lit journals, and I'm interested uh-huh. to know how you made inroads in that community and and sort of what that what that experience is like to read contemporary work, and what are the takeaways
0: yeah, that's been a really. That's been really helpful for me. Um, I read for Fractured Lit. I read fiction for them. I'm a first reader, so I'm not an editor or anything. Um, and then I do name for nonfiction for Longleaf. Uh, and both of them came along because their editors-in-chief just posted on Twitter that they were looking for readers. So mm-hmm. I think if I was going to suggest to other people who would maybe want to be int- would be interested in doing something like that, just follow follow the journals that you're interested in online, um, or even just send them a message. I mean, I think most of the people I've met online or in workshops who are editors for um literary journals, especially the the online only ones, the the community is so welcoming. Mm-hmm. If you just send a message and say, Hey, I'd like to be a reader, how how do I do that? Um both times when I, when they put out notices for these two that I read for, I just sent them a message and said I was interested and they were like, sure. And so the process is um, I'm not, I can decline something if I think it's not a good fit, but it's usually pretty obvious. Like um, at first I you can ask the editor in chief for Fractured List, lit uh for fractured lit tommy dean he had taught a couple of workshops i'd take taken and so when i said oh this would be interesting he was oh actually you know i think i put out there on twitter i don't think he put out a notice i think i said i'd really like to do this how do i do this you know how would i how would i be a writer or reader and he just sent me a message and said hey we need some readers (laughs) so it was like okay do that so um but when he first (laughs) brought me on they the journals have like, here's what we expect you to do. Here's how to respond to things. Here's what we're looking for. And so I'm reading all the instructions. I was terrified that I was going to like decline the next Sylvia Plath or something. (laughs) Like I was like, what if I turn somebody down and I just don't know what I'm doing and they're wonderful, you know? And he's like, look, chill out. (laughs) He's like, He said, you, you will know, like, it's obvious if it's a piece that's not finished or it's not a good fit or whatever. He's like, it's okay. (laughs) So after, I don't know, it took a couple of months, I think before I was like, oh, okay. Now I see once you've read a lot of the, the submissions, then you can start seeing the ones that just don't quite seem like they're finished or it's there are a lot of people submit things as flash that are really just vignettes like they seem like they could be a chapter in a novel they're Mm. not an actual complete story so things like that start to become easier to see so yeah if somebody's interested in reading i would say follow those journals online or wherever if nobody if you're not on twitter a lot of people aren't anymore Um, and then just send messages to the editors and say, Hey, doing this, are you guys looking for anybody? And it's, it should be that easy. Hopefully it is. So.
1: (laughs) No, that's great. I think, uh, there's, there's a lot of experience to be had from volunteering and putting in the time to, uh, to join the community and serve the community in that way too, because it pays off in dividends, uh, for sure. From what it's from your experience.
0: Oh, and I, yeah, I'm. I've learned so much about my own writing. Like it's so much easier to see things that I'm stumbling on when I have read it in someone else's story. You know, when you're Mm -hmm. reading your own work, it's so much harder to see them. So it's been a real learning experience. So that's been great.
1: And speaking of learning experiences, I want to ask you about the improv because that has to play a part in your creative process and the way that you see the world, especially as a performer, somebody who's comfortable with acting, or at least had a little bit of, of that background in the beginning. I want to know how that informs what you do, or if there are some things that make it easy for you to put things down on paper because you have that sort of training. I think actors are very special to me because, you know, I'm a theater person. I love actors. They're my favorite people in the whole world because they're insane, but they're also very humane. They they feel everything so intensely. <laughs> <Of course. laughs> it's okay. I, I can say that because I, I studied acting as well. I did my fair share of acting, so I <laughs> 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 hope I get a pass there.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. I, the more actors I've met through my life the more I've thought <laughs> I don't know that I would have survived if I had tried to do that life <laughs> I don't think I don't think it would have worked out because <laughs> they're <Right>. crazy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah I had not ever thought about the connections between improv and how I write but now that you say that I think they're very similar in that um you know you probably know improv is all about yes and for you, whoever your partner is on stage so your partner does something or put something into a scene and you the you have to go with it rather than kind of stopping that idea and that's what we're taught and so if i'm sitting at my notebook and an idea comes to me the best way to ruin my career as a writer is to continuously bat away all the ideas that come along. No, no, that sucks. No, that's been done. No, that's the same as that other story. No, you know. And so I think it's true that to bring an improv state of mind to the paper is probably a good thing. This is so brilliant, Jaime. I'm going to have to create a workshop based on this but think, you know it's you like have you, you have to you have to you just put down what comes to you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you just put down what comes to you and then later on you can go back and look at it again and decide what you need to edit but yeah i think i think there definitely has to be a trust of yourself and a trust that the story that's coming to you has your best interests in mind so Yeah, I really, really like that idea. I think that that's absolutely true. You have to trust your muse, right? You Uh trust whatever is coming in to be what you need it to be, even if it looks crazy right now, because improv (laughs) looks crazy most of the time.
1: (laughs) Always, the best improv is insane, is out of control. But I think that it is the total acceptance of logic, whether it just is off the the deep end or is founded in some kind of reality. I'll, we are so dismissive mm-hmm. sometimes as creatives. Like we we have a really high standard of ourselves, and to say this is what it is. What if you just follow it to its conclusion mm-hmm. to whatever it wants to be, without mm-hmm. without shame, without uh, expectation of what it's supposed to be? I think that's a really powerful mm-hmm. thing. And and you got I I just can't help but wonder and marvel at the tools that you have there as a as an improv person. It's like right there you're like a rocket to creativity but I admire (laughs) I admire improv people that's why that's why I'm rambling on I admire them because of that skill set so um
0: yeah I got into it I got into it late I wish I had known about improv when I was a young actor because you know I I like didn't watch Saturday Night Live I I came up when it was like 1975 when it started Mm -hmm. snl i was 10 years old and so you would think that (laughs) i would have been in all about it in my teens and stuff but we didn't stay up that late my parents didn't let us stay up late and watch saturday night live and so i didn't know about snl really or i knew about it but i didn't watch it and then i didn't have any idea about second city and the groundlings in la and all of that stuff like i wanted to be an actor so bad but i didn't have the people around me to teach me where I needed to go. And so now, you know, I'm like, I wonder if they would accept a 57 year old mom and grandma. <laughs> like that would shake things up. Right. <laughs> they wouldn't have to use makeup on their characters, their actors. I could just play all the old people. That'd be great. <laughs> but yeah, I haven't called Warren yet. So we'll see. <laughs> well, I
1: might take you up on that. If you ever want to act, I'll just write you something. Uh, I, I love actors. Awesome. And I, I'll yeah. Do it. Yeah. Um, but you, you mentioned something that I forgot to ask you earlier on, which is, uh, things that inspired you when you were younger. Cause I, I think those formative ages are so, they're so vital and we're always trying to recollect and look back on the things that, that really inspired us and made us who we are creatively. Do you remember reading something that just knocked your socks off or Watching a play that inspired you to become an actress, or things that you were watching at that time, especially in you know what I romanticize now, which is like the seventies uh, I just think they had like the best the best stuff, but I wasn't there, so I don't know
0: <laughs> yeah, we did I'll just tell you yeah I mean, it, in the At times <laughs> um, um you know i i early on wanted to perform. And, um, I think my mom didn't know quite what to do with me because again, she didn't have actors in her family or whatever. So, you know, I come home from school and I'm like, I'm going to be a snowflake in this pageant and I need a ballet outfit and all that. Well, (laughs) I had lied to the lady who was looking for snowflakes because they looked for girls who had ballet experience and I had taken like three ballet lessons. And I was like, Oh yeah, I've got, I can do ballet. So, I was always looking for a reason to be on stage (laughs) and make people look at me. (laughs) And, um, so I, I did stuff like that just through my childhood that I see in Little Rock that I guess in the paper, the way we did things in the seventies and tried to get them to make an appointment for me when I was 12 (laughs) years old to be a model. (laughs) And so my my mom was like, what are you doing? I'm like, I could do this. So, you know, um, so early on, I had that desire to just be on stage. I don't think I was inspired by any performances or anything. But I know in terms of my writing, um, even though when I was young, I didn't have the idea of being a writer, I, I loved stories about uh, young women doing extraordinary things and so i read you know all the little house on the prairie books obviously i think that was like required for (laughs) girls in the 70s and then um nancy drew books because she was a badass and solved all these mysteries and then there were boxcar children who just lived on their own in this boxcar and that was so cool you know and then oh but my favorite i think. One of my favorite books was, um, it was called Island of the Blue Dolphins. And I think Scott Odell was the author. And I just found that thrift store or something and I read it again. I think I'd read it when I was 11. And it's about a young indigenous girl in the um, northern the islands near Alaska when their people all moved to some other place. And so she had and she has to create a home for her and her brother. And I remember being so inspired by that girl doing hard stuff, kind of. And so I love those stories, film and theater and stuff. Um, I am a really big fan of movies that are very character focused. I just watched one the other night called Friends with Money. And it was from 2006. I'd never heard of it, but it's a. It has Jennifer Aniston and Joan Cusack and um, Francis McDormand, and mm-hmm. it's about a group of friends who have grown together, like since college or something. And then they all interweave with each other. It's a very um, like a small story. It doesn't do anything extravagant. There's no big giant arc. It's just kind of a a relationship story, but. You really get to know each of the characters really well and kind mm-hmm. of see their motivations and shifts in their relationships. It definitely, I shows in the stories I write plotting out. but like motivations, why do people do the things they do? And what happens when they do those things? then what does that create later that they may not have expected? I guess. I guess those are the kinds of I really like. And the Cohen brothers, like anything oh, that
1: Joel yes. and Ethan Cohen
0: put together, yeah, I'm there, I'm right
1: there with you, <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've ever seen yep. a, a better combination of, I guess not combination, but just a mastery of the medium, like the Cohen brothers. I mean, with Ethan mm-hmm. Cohen being such oh, a, such a voice, and and getting the dialects right, and getting those characters to just jump off mm-hmm. the page, and mm-hmm. the, the directing of those movies, uh, man. Outstanding. But I want yeah. to ask you one more thing to be mindful of your time. And I, I can't thank you enough for this. This has been amazing. And I can't believe that time just flies. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm good. When you're having fun. Uh, can you tell me about I know. you said this thing on your bio that I love. You you said you're I'll just
0: come back. You can bring me back.
1: That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Anytime. Um can you tell me Uh, about this thing that you said in your bio about being a firm believer in the transformative power of militant optimism, because I subscribe to it. Yeah. I believe that that's the way to move forward, but I'm curious what your take is on that and what, what got you to that perspective?
0: Okay. So this was a term that I, Came up with, and I have since found that there's somebody else like out in California. I think there was a guy with a website that was called Militant Optimist, but I come at, came up with it in my own head by myself the day. After, so here's where I get. <laughs> <laughs> so there are so many things in the world that are absolute trash. And I have always been a, an optimist. So. uh I think it's probably one of the things that's kept me moving forward and not really getting bogged down in a lot of self doubt. Um, even though like with my acting, I was afraid of failure. There was also a, I don't want to spend 10 years trying to do something that I'm not gonna be able to do. And Mm so that was also, I think my impatience. Um, so the way I see militant optimism is you have to believe in something better that something better is possible but then the militant part of it is that you also have to be working you can't you know optimism is not just hope it's not just blind faith you know oh well i hope it gets better oh everything will be fine it's not the don't worry it'll all be fine It's. i think there's But I also have to do the work to try to be part of that, to make the better happen. And so that's what has led me to be vocal, to, um, you know, be a middle-aged white lady speaking up for people who can't, who don't have a voice. And I mean, I'm not trying to like crow on myself or something. I think that's just what everybody has to do. And so, yeah, I got I got pushed back on the militant part of that when I first started putting it out there in mm-hmm. 2016 or 2017, whenever it was, um, because somebody said, oh, but that's, you know, violent militant is mm-hmm. like the army or, you know, violence. And I'm like, no, it's like you have to be busy. You have mm-hmm. to work. And yeah. if you're going to look at that little specific definition of that word to reject this idea then that's a problem in you Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're not thinking bigger um so yeah that's and i have a little thing on my wall in front of me and that's that's just been something that has been really important to me since since it came to me is just that we have to be constantly looking for ways to make things better for everyone we can't sit back and go, oh, I'm just, I can't, I'm too tired. Mm-hmm. I can't do this anymore. And now I will say I felt conflicted Um, after I ran for office, I really stepped way back. And then mm-hmm. the pandemic, you know, the pandemic started actually, as I was trying to run for office, which mm-hmm. it's really hard to connect with your community when you can't visit with them at all. So that was a problem. But, um, but afterwards I didn't, I didn't, uh, get elected. But I said, okay, I've got to take a step back because I'm doing this writing and putting all my effort. And so I haven't been going to Democrat meetings and I haven't been attending all of the events that they schedule, but I am still speaking up online and I'm still promoting everything that's going on. I'm still signing petitions. And, um, and I'm just being aware. I think part of it is also just knowing what's going on. You know, you bury your head in the sand, and then all hell breaks loose, and you can't pretend like you didn't know it was coming, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that's a lot. but yeah, it's it's important to me i I love putting those two terms together, militant and optimism, because it's, yeah, it's mm-hmm. stay hopeful, know that there's better but know that work has to be done to get there. So that's what it is for me anyway.
1: I love it. I think that's a beautiful note to end on because it reminds us that there is hope to be found. We just have to keep keep looking and refusing to stand down. And that takes effort, that mm. takes a lot of uh, a lot of willpower, but it's necessary because these are very very difficult times that we live in. Uh, yeah. but Lori, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to do this and for bringing this, uh, collection of flash fiction out into the world and for serving your community as best you can, because that's, that's really what it's all about. Uh, and of course I hope that we get to catch Thanks. up next time about thrift shops and, uh, and more comedy stuff <laughs> and all kinds of fun things. Even, okay. We didn't even talk about nacho cheese Doritos so maybe next time
0: oh yeah (laughs) next time
1: well i wish you the best on the on the writing that's coming up and congrats on the collection thank you so much Lori, for everything and uh i will talk to you real soon on the internet